Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. This theme of beauty came up because um, there's a couple, it was, it was a couple years ago now, we were doing um, our Titus 2 Wednesday morning Bible studies, and there was a morning where, I don't even know if Darlene will remember this, but Darlene Smither came and shared, and after the study was over, I remember going up to her, there you are, I don't know if you remember this, um, I went up to Darlene and was like, so I think I was kind of misty-eyed, teary-eyed, and I was like, how have you related to beauty as you've gotten older? <laughs> and um, really, it was just coming from this place of, I think I had just had Penelope, and so, you know, my body had been stretched out again for the fourth time, and things still hadn't gone back to the relative places where they belong. And so I was kind of struggling with the reflection in the mirror and really, like, growing up, um, not because of anything that I was taught, but just, like, by experience, I found worth in the way that I looked. And um, growing up as a young girl, just discovering that I could get attention because of the way that I looked or through beauty or whatever that was, um, I was noticed or pursued, and therefore just decided that there was value or worth in that, um, or that my worth lied in that, some of my worth. So as time goes by, and a wedding ring's added to the hand, I start to get a little less attention. As like 20 pounds get added, I start to get a little less attention, um, I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have much <laughs> when it comes to the skill. We've been all over the place, and add a pack of kids to that, I'm getting a little less attention, add a minivan to that, and I'm getting way less attention. <laughs> and I don't think any of this was really registering until one day, I think that um, I wasn't driving my minivan this day, so this may have been why this happened. I was in Travis's car, and I was driving down the street, and I had the window rolled down. And these little boys, these boys, were rollerblading down the sidewalk. And they started yelling at me, Hey, what's your number? My friend thinks you're cute. <laughs> so, I mean, your first clue is that it was little boys rollerblading. <laughs> um, <laughs> the second thing that occurred was <clears throat> they couldn't see this because... From, like, the window down, the door was blocking my, like, nine-month pregnant belly. And I just wished so badly that there was, like, another button to, like, roll down the door to just reveal. You like this? You want some of this? <laughs> anyway, what, like, the thought that I had in driving away from that experience was... I can't remember the last time that that happened. Like, I can't remember the last time some guy or little boy rollerblading <laughs> was like, hey! I mean, it may have been a decade. And what happened in my heart was like, what does that mean? If there's been a tension that has come and some type of value attached to that, through beauty, if there's been some type of worth attached to that, and that has stopped happening, then what does that mean? So the question, where does, where does your beauty come from, right? I, I believe my, my beauty comes from places that maybe it doesn't come from anymore. Does my beauty come from my face? Does my beauty come from my body? Does my beauty come from something I wear or something beautiful that I own, does beauty come from those places? 
And if it does, then what does that mean when those things change? So the way that we grow up um, affects what we believe about beauty. Maybe you got attention, maybe you didn't. Maybe you got attention and you hated the attention. And you started dressing to, like, try to detract, you know? Maybe you got attention and you loved the attention. Maybe you always longed for the attention and never got it. We're all in different places on the spectrum. But our experiences can form our beliefs about beauty. And also what's been modeled for us by our mothers, by influential women in our lives, the things that we've watched, the things that have been modeled mold what we believe. And so... Maybe we have had a really secure, um, we've had secure women in our lives, or we've had insecure women in our lives. Maybe we've had women who have liked their bodies, or women who have hated their bodies. Maybe we've had women who have complained about the way that they look. Maybe we've had extreme dieters, or we've had overeaters. There's just this broad spectrum, and there's women influencers in our lives that influence our beliefs about beauty. And there's also the world around us and the things that we're taking in that influence. There's also things that get spoken over us, especially at a young age, that um, are significant and they stick, and uh, things that can make us feel either inferior or superior. And so just considering these things in this conversation about beauty and about the way that those things influence the way that we act, the way that we dress, the way that we talk, the way that we, we, we relate. And those things can stick with us for a long time. So I was 32 years old, and, and the rollerblading boys, like, just caused me to realize, hmm, this is interesting. I need to think about this. So my hope for this weekend is that God would interrupt some of these things that we've been living with that we maybe haven't noticed. I think that what we believe about beauty is really important, and we'll get to that as we go further, but I'm hoping that God will interrupt the things in our hearts that we believe that aren't rooted in truth. Um, When I was a younger lady, girl, um, I, you know, I I got teased for different things. I mean, I think we all did, right? So one of my big ones was chicken legs. Um, and, like, some of those things, they just really, uh, they have a huge impact. You know, some people go on from there and wear pants for the rest of their lives because they never want anyone to see their chicken legs again. You know, they just, they have an impact. And um, so there were different things along the way, you know, but... One of the things was um, someone told me I had big feet when I was younger. And it was just like, oh, okay, I have big feet. And so when I started dating Travis, Travis loves shoes. And because I had big feet, um, I, would never, I would never wear any shoes that drew attention to my feet. Uh, so I just wear plainer, you know, no, like, red shoes or <laughs> no sparkly shoes. <laughs> No things that drew attention to the feet because my feet were big. And so we're dating, and we go shopping one day, and we're shopping for shoes. And he's like, oh, hey, you know, try try this pair of shoes on or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I can't wear those shoes. They were flashy somehow. I don't know. They were colorful or something. And I was like, oh, I can't wear those shoes. I I can't wear those kind of shoes because I have big feet. And he was like, what size shoe do you wear? And I was like, eight and a half. And he's worked at a shoe store. So he was like, that's not big feet. And I was like, yeah, it is. I have big feet. And he was like, no, that is the most average size foot there is. You have an average foot. You do not have big feet. I was like, I don't have big feet? No, you don't have big feet. And from that day forward, I wore whatever kind of shoes I wanted all the time. And that's just a silly story to show us that we get locked into these perspectives about ourselves. Like, I have big feet, and I just have big feet, and I can't do this, or I can't do that, or I can't wear this because I just have big feet. And sometimes it takes God or people we love interrupting that conversation and going, no, actually, you have a really average-sized foot, and you're dumb for believing that, to break us out of that, you know? So I believe that all of us, all women, 
live with this question deep inside of us. Some deeper than others, maybe. Some are more aware of it than others, maybe. And the question is, am I beautiful? Am I beautiful? And when that question stays unanswered in us, and maybe, like, it'll get partially answered at times or kind of touched on, but, like, never fully solved to where it goes away. When that question remains unanswered inside of us, our hearts can drive us to a lot of nouns. And by nouns, I mean people, places, and things. And inevitably, that causes a lot of pain. The other reason for this topic of beauty is because I have five I have five daughters. I have five little girls. So this subject is becoming especially pertinent to me. <laughs> Not by choice, but this is, this is on my radar now. Because I want my daughters to believe that they're beautiful. And I don't want my daughters to spend one day forgetting who they are. And I want them to live free. And I want their lives to sing. And so I'm getting more and more passionate about this subject because this is what I want for my daughters and this is the same thing that I want for you guys. I want you to be free. I want you to be unhindered. I don't want you to be caught in a net. I want you to know the truth. I want that truth to set you free and I want your lives to be a song to the Lord. I know what's coming at them because I've experienced it, right? All the lies... I know the fight that's in front of them. I know the ways they're going to be tempted to try to go to other things to satisfy themselves instead of God. And I know this because this is, it's familiar. We've all been here, right? And I believe that we have a beauty fascination, that we are fascinated with beauty. As I've like thought on this and pondered it, there's just beauty everywhere and in everything. It's just such a vast subject that it was almost hard at times to, to edit myself from going in different directions. But we're fascinated with beauty. We love beautiful people and beautiful faces and beautiful hair and beautiful teeth and beautiful skin and beautiful clothes and beautiful shoes and beautiful homes and beautiful spaces and beautiful landscapes and beautiful children and beautiful cars. And we travel all over the world to see beauty. There's a fascination in us for beauty. Scrolling through Pinterest... Um, If you don't know what Pinterest is, it's like an online catalog of images, basically. And um, scrolling through Pinterest in these last weeks, preparing for this, I've just been struck by how much beauty we take in visually. It's just like we're looking, we're looking, we're looking, and it's like beautiful faces and beautiful hair and beautiful hair and beautiful hair and beautiful shoes and beautiful shoes and beautiful shoes and beautiful homes, beautiful room, beautiful kitchen, beautiful kitchen, beautiful kitchen, beautiful kitchen, beautiful kitchen. It's just like, and like I've thought to myself at times because I just, I keep going back and I just, I want to see more. I want to see more. Show me more. Show me more. Show me more. Show me more. It doesn't matter how much I've seen before. Show me more. And especially now in the time that we live, the access to all of that has intensified so much that there's so much at our fingertips of beauty that we can take in. And I've, I've wondered to myself at times, how much visual beauty can I actually take in? Like, is there a limit to it? Will, will, will it somehow, like, okay, I've had enough. And I just keep going back for more, and I keep going back for more, and I keep going back for more. Somehow it doesn't matter how much we see, we want to see more. We can never have our fill. And also there's just things that will forever awe us. It's like even if we have seen them before, we see them again, and there's that awe again, you know. Trav and I went, went to Paris when we were pregnant with Avery, and the Notre Dame was one of those for me. It's just like, I just stay here for like a week inside this building and just take it in. It's so beautiful what has been created here for God, and it's so meaningful. And, and then there's so many things that we've seen that we take in that awe us and will awe us over and over again. So I'm asking the question, why? Why is that so? 
And here's what I think. I think that we were made to gaze. We were made to gaze. Psalm 27, verse 4 says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He's put an appetite in us to gaze. He's put an appetite, a longing in us to experience beauty. And I just want to take a little rabbit trail right here and just make the point that the beauty of God is not some optimistic, mystical, denial kind of thing where we close our eyes and plug our ears and start to hum and tune out the world and just focus on the beauty of God. That's not what the beauty of God is. If, if we go back to this passage in Psalm 27, I, after we've read it, I just want to point out to you guys now the circumstances that da- King David finds himself in when he writes that line. So starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David is in the midst of turmoil in this passage. I I don't know if you guys have experienced lately like an army besieging you or war breaking out against you. This isn't the reality of my life, but the reality is that we are in turmoil and we are living in different situations where there is pain or there is fear or there are things that we're facing. And it's in the midst of enemies attacking and war breaking out and an army besieging that David is saying one thing. I want to be with God and I want to gaze at God. This is the one thing that I need right now. And I think that what he's saying is this is the only thing that is big enough to lift my head above what is pressing in. To lift my head above the enemies that are attacking. To lift my head above the fear that is wanting to devour and steal. This is the one thing that catches my gaze in the midst of all of that going on. That the beauty of God is the only thing strong enough and powerful enough to abate, to calm, and to comfort us in the midst of the terror of life. I believe that that is what David is saying. And so This isn't some pie in the sky, close your eyes, plug your ears, hum a little tune, just think about how pretty God is. This is not what this is about. The beauty of God and the way that we see God and the way that we enjoy God is important to us making it. It's important to us not getting devoured. Seeing him as the one thing that we need. And knowing that in the midst of all that is pressing in to try to steal our attention, that our gaze needs to be on him and on his beauty. That it is actually something that is pertinent to life. So we were made to gaze. And gazing at the beauty of God is important because it gives us perspective. It infuses hope into our life. And we're able to hold our head high. In the midst of crazy circumstances, we're able to hold our head high. So, deeply rooted in every heart is this longing for beauty. And it's why we love the Grand Canyon. It's, love, it's why we love art exhibits and gardens. And it's why we plant flowers and trees. And it's why we paint the walls inside of our house. It's why man and not monkeys decorated cave walls with pictures And why every tribe of humans ever known, there was always some sort of art or craftsmanship that goes beyond mere utility. There's a fascination in us for beauty. It's actually been encouraging to me looking at this. Like there's been these aha moments where it's like, oh, that's why why I love art. Or 
That's why I love interior design. Or that, that's why that is in me, because God put it there. It's a longing that he put there. There is in the human heart an unquenchable longing for beauty. And I am persuaded that the reason it is there is because God is the ultimately beautiful one, and he made us to long for himself. Even the most perverted desire for beauty is a distorted remnant of a good yearning which God put within us to lure us to himself. And we can know that our desires are remnants of this urge for God because everything less than God leaves us unsatisfied. He alone is the all-satisfying object of beauty. Only one vision will be sufficient for our insatiable hearts. That's the Pinterest thing. More, 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 more. Our hearts are insatiable. Only one thing is the answer for our insatiable hearts, and it is the glory of God. (laughs) For that we have been made, and it is for this we long, whether we know it or not. How many of you guys feel like you're beautiful, or like you should be beautiful, or you want to be beautiful? Just can you raise your hands? How many of you feel... I'm, I'm, I'm beautiful, I, sh- I want to be beautiful, I should be beautiful, okay? Okay, next question. How many of you feel not beautiful, not perfect, flawed, not completely satisfied with what's going on up in here? Okay. So, there's a sense in us that we're beautiful, and at the same exact time, there's a sense in us that we're not quite beautiful. <laughs> there's this tension. It's like we know there's beauty, and then we know there's ugliness. This tension that we feel between beauty and ugliness is that we were made in the image of God, and that we're marred by sin. There's like this twofold thing going on in our lives. It's like created in the image of God, plus sin equals beautiful, ugly tension, okay? I think Travis should add this to the tension series. (laughs) Beautiful, ugly. (laughs) So there's this this tension inside of us that we all feel, right? I'm not the only one. I feel this. And then there's also this longing. And the longing for beauty is not, it's not just to be beautiful. It's not just to see beauty. It's to be beauty. It's not just to see it, but it's actually to possess it. I don't just want to see beauty. I want to be beauty. I think about Eve when I think about this. She, um, she, she believed a lie. She had everything that she needed. She had everything that we want. And she believed a lie, and she saw this fruit. She saw it, and she wanted it, and she had to possess it. That same thing is in us. We do this. We obsess about things, and then we have to possess them. It's like, I see it. Now give it to me. Okay? So what is beauty? This is a really challenging one for me to define. Because Webster's just didn't quite do it. And, and I, think, I think it's because beauty is an aspect of God that we see these glimpses of. Um, and we're trying to define them. It's like seeing an elephant's ear and then trying to describe what an elephant's like or something. There's this mystery in it to me. But here's my feeble attempt. Beauty is pleasurable perception. So it's perception. It's seeing something. And then it's seeing it as pleasurable, that it's pleasing, that there's an enjoyment in it, that there's a satisfaction in it, there's a happiness in it. Beauty is something to be experienced. Another thing that we see about beauty is that it is perfection and it's flawlessness. And I take this from 2 Samuel 14.25. I found this verse that I think is awesome. It says, but in all of Israel, there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. Every inch of you is perfect from the bottom to the top. So he, there was no blemish in him. He was flawless. So beauty, he was the most beautiful. He was perfect. There was no blemish in him. He was flawless. So beauty is perfection and flawlessness. 
Another thing that is said about beauty is that um, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Have you guys heard that line? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And it's true. There's truth in it. Because for, for some of you, you may think that purple is the most beautiful color in all the earth. And I might think that it's horrifying. So there's something about beauty that comes down to taste or preference or whatever it is, right? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But listen to this. Suppose that you were standing by the Grand Canyon at sunset with two other people. You become deeply moved and utter the words, This is beautiful. This is glorious. The person beside you says, beautiful? It's just a big, ugly ditch. And the third person says, I guess I hear what both of you are saying. And I think those are actually equally valid statements. And it is true that unless there is a higher aesthetic court of appeal than man, that those two judgments are equally valid. But even people who say they believe in such humanistic relativism don't like it when their own judgments about truth and beauty are treated as mere personal idiosyncrasies. The reason for this, I think, is that there is in in every person a God-given sense that beauty must have meaning that is larger and more permanent than personal quirks. This urge for ultimate meaning is evidence of our creation in in the image of God. So there's this conviction in our hearts. It's like, okay, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and yes, There are preferences and tastes, and we might not agree on what is really beautiful to us. There will be differences. But you read something like that, and there is the the conviction that, no, there is something that is ultimately beautiful, and it's not based on what I think or if I like it or not. It's ultimately beautiful. There's a higher court of appeal than my opinion. So beauty is ultimate. That's the other definition that I made up. Beauty's ultimate. What beauty does, beauty evokes worship, right? And you could just go to the Grand Canyon or go to the Notre Dame or go look at the sunset and just listen and wait for it to flow out of people. Beauty evokes worship. It evokes praise. Oh, it's so beautiful. It just flows out of us. And beauty is to be experienced, and it's to be enjoyed. So that's what beauty is and what beauty does. Now we're going to look at God, what God is. He is the foundation of all the beauty in the world. Beauty is what God is. His wisdom is beautiful. His justice is beautiful. His power is beautiful. His love is beautiful love. God is also perfect and flawless unblemished from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He's perfect and flawless. And by the breath of his mouth, he created the world. He's the source of everything good. He's the original designer. He's the master builder. He's the dreamer. He's the heavenly painter. He dreamed all of this up. I heard this um, designer, that, like interior designer that I really like, interviewed, and she said something like, I just live with this conviction that things should not only be functional, but they should also be beautiful. And it just struck me, you live with that conviction? (laughs) Where'd you get that conviction from? I think it probably comes from God, who created things functional and beautiful, like trees who serve a very functional purpose and could be shaped like a block of concrete. But instead, they're these amazingly gorgeous trees. Function and beauty. We see it everywhere we look. And we see it when we look in the mirror. Function and beauty. This is not a new idea. This is God's idea. We get this from God. He's not just the source of visual beauty, but he also created relationships and love and mercy and peace and forgiveness and freedom. These are all things that God dreamed up. He's beautiful, and everything he puts his hands to are beautiful. And the things that he's made reflect that beauty, including us. And so I just wanted to ask the question, when you think of God, if beauty is pleasurable perception, when you think about God, 
is one of the first things that comes to your heart, pleasure? Is there this enjoyment, this pleasure, this experience of how good and beautiful God is? Because it was David's one thing. Like, it was that important. It was like, I need to be in your presence and see your face and just gaze on your beauty. So I wanted us to consider that. He also made people, and people are beautiful. You. You're beautiful. Psalm 139, 14 says some really amazing things about you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. If you've heard this before, can you just like, just pause and maybe use your imagination. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Think about someone, I've been following these people that are amazing. They're making these amazingly beautiful weaved pieces of art. He knit you together. He knit you together. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are beautiful because you were God-breathed. You were handmade by God. You were God-designed. I pray this over my daughters all the time at night when they're going to bed. I thank you, God, for thinking Remy up. Thank you for designing her. You did a really good job. I thank you, God, for thinking Penny up. You designed her. You did a really good job. You were God-breathed. You were knit together by the hands of God. Your frame was not hidden from him when he made you in the secret place. You are God-breathed, and you are beautiful because you are God-breathed. He knit you together. He made you with his hands. You are God-breathed. We're intrinsically beautiful. Because we are God-breathed, God-formed, God-dreamed up. We're valuable because he wanted us. He wanted to make us. It wasn't an accident. It was on purpose. I don't care what your circumstances were or what you have believed. I don't care what someone has told you. Your parents weren't even in charge. You can ask me. I know. You were God thought up. It was his idea. It was on purpose. It was wonderfully done. It was not an accident. You are God breathed. And God makes you beautiful. The things that we create are beautiful. Like architecture and art and fashion and food and all these ways that we get to create and be creative and, and partner with God in that because he's the original creator. And so when we do those things, there's a an pleasure and an enjoyment in being made in the image of God and getting to create beauty with him. I heard this story about this um, 18th century watchmaker. And he had made a watch for a client and something had broken in the watch. So the client had brought it in so that it could be fixed. And this watch was just amazingly beautiful, handmade. And so the watchmaker is taking the watch apart, and he pulls out the balance wheel from the watch. And the client sees that there's some engraving design on the balance wheel inside of the watch. And he says, why would you, why would you put that there where no one's going to see it? And the watchmaker said, because God sees. There's something about creating beauty and partnering with God in that and God being pleased as we are functioning the way he's made us to function. 
that is really beautiful and that's pleasing to him. The other thing that's beautiful, this, these are just things, these are, this is not like the summary. These are just things that came to my mind or heart. But there are acts that are beautiful. There are things that we do that are beautiful, like acts of sacrificial love. Those are very beautiful. And when you hear those, the stories about someone doing something for someone else, and it was, there was a sacrificial love in it, it brings us to tears. It totally moves us. Stories are beautiful. Stories are beautiful. Can you put that image up for me? I want you guys to look at this image. Is that beautiful to you? Does that move you when you look at that? How does that make you feel when you, when you look at that piece of art? Well, what if I told you that that little drawing, that piece of art was the last act of a five-year-old girl before she died from cancer. Now is it beautiful? So there's stories behind things that move us and make things really, really beautiful. Maybe things that wouldn't be beautiful in and of themselves. But stories move us. So what God does... There's, there is a story. There's one story that is the most beautiful story. And the beauty of God was put on full display in Jesus and through the gospel. God tells us if, if we want to know what he's like to look at Jesus, right? So Jesus came. God came down. God sent his son. And he lived a perfect and flawless life. And then he performed the greatest act of sacrificial love. Something that I found really interesting in thinking about this is in Isaiah 53, 2 through 6. And it says that Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin. The, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It just struck me that Jesus didn't come looking beautiful, and he could have. Like, he could have come like Jim Caviezel, or is that the guy's name? He could have come looking like that. But based on this passage, I don't think he did. There was nothing that would draw us or attract us to him. He didn't come looking beautiful. He, come and he, he came and he did something beautiful. And this just struck me when I was reading 1 Peter 3, 3 through 5, which I'm sure is a passage you've heard a lot of times. But with this in mind, that Jesus didn't come looking beautiful, but he came and did something beautiful. In 1 Peter 3, it says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. And this scripture has gotten a lot of abuse. I don't think it's telling us to get rid of clothes or get rid of hair or get rid of jewelry. It's just, a, it's just saying that that's not where your beauty comes from and that all that stuff is going to fade. So if that's where your beauty has lived, what is going to happen? It's saying, let your beauty come from your inner self, from your spirit. Let your beauty flow out of you. That will never fade. Adorning your body is going to fade. Adorning your spirit is never going to fade. And I just love how Jesus didn't come looking beautiful. He came and did something beautiful. His life poured out was beautiful. 
And this is what he's asking of us too, to not be consumed and caught up and obsessed with looking beautiful, but to be beautiful in our spirits, to adorn our spirits that will not fade and to find our beauty coming from that place. That's what he's asking of us. He could have come looking beautiful, but he didn't. And he's asking our beauty to come from our spirit, from our inner self. The gospel is our remedy for that tension we talked about of beauty and ugliness, right? Because Jesus wanted us, and he took on our ugliness, and he came and he lived that perfect, flawless, beautiful life that we all keep trying to make happen. He did it for us, and then he took our ugliness and put his beauty on us. That was the exchange, and now we get to live beautifully out of his life through what he's accomplished for us. We get to be beautiful because his blood has made us beautiful, not because we've worked hard or perfected ourselves. So we want to be women who are running, not running after all of these lesser things, these lesser beauties that never meet the need. They never satisfy the longing. They never fulfill the gaze. There's that desire still throbbing underneath all the time when we're going to these lesser beauties, not that they're bad in themselves, but thinking that somehow if I just can get this or do that or buy this outfit or get that piece of furniture or get that boob job or get my hair did or whatever it is, if I can just, 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 He's asking us to get off the hamster wheel of going to the things that he's created for us to enjoy, thinking that they're going to be the thing that satisfies. He's asking us to (laughs) push those things aside because they clamor and they crowd in and they're after our attention and our affections and our energies and our thoughts. They're pressing in all the time trying to convince us that they can satisfy and they can't. He's wanting us to push those things aside and be women who are seeing, oh, you made that, God, and that's really beautiful, and you made it really good, and that just reminds me of how amazing you are. They're just tools. They're just reflections. They're shadows of the thing that does satisfy, of the one who made them. They're glimpses. They're shadows. And we want to run after God. We want to see God. We want to possess God. We want to be in his presence. We want to gaze on his beauty and see him face to face. We gaze and we gaze and we gaze and we gaze and we gaze. And we never have enough of seeing. But the thing that has struck my heart is that there is going to be a day where we gaze and we will never be able to look away and we will be satisfied forever. And so until that day, we're women who are running after Jesus and pressing into him and believing that he made us and that we're beautiful in him because he made us and because he redeemed us And we're enjoying all the gifts that he's given us in the world that are enjoyable and beautiful and can be satisfying, but not ultimately satisfying. And we keep running back to him over and over again, pressing into him, believing he's the only satisfying thing. He's the only thing that will meet this longing. And that one day we will be in his presence. (laughs) We will be so overwhelmed by that beauty. All the things that we've ever experienced here that ever moved us or ever awed us or ever caused us to worship will be a drop in the bucket compared to the amazingly beautiful, overwhelming presence of the glory of God. And that thing, being in his presence, will satisfy us forever. So Lord, I ask that you would Lay this foundation in our hearts tonight. I pray that you would come like in a garden and you would weed out all the weeds that have been planted 
over the years in our lives, the ones that have grown really big that we've just become accustomed to living with, Lord, would you root them out? And would you convince our hearts of the truth? Lord, we long for beauty. And all of our attempts to satisfy that longing have failed. We're coming to you, Lord. We're believing your word above all other words. We're believing that you made us, that you formed us, that you knit us together, that you breathed life into us, that the very breath that we're sitting in our seats right now, inhaling and exhaling, is from your love and by your grace. We're sustained by you, Lord. You've called us beautiful and lovely. You wanted us enough to make us, and then you wanted us enough to redeem us and to save us and to rescue us out of the web we were caught in. And so we're believing you tonight. And we're asking you to make us women that pray that prayer of David, that you would make it the prayer of our hearts, that one thing we ask, and this is what we seek, to be with you, to see you, and to gaze on your beauty. Because we were made to gaze. You made us for that, Lord. And you're longing to satisfy that way that you made us. Make us women. One thing we ask. This is what we're seeking. This is what we're going after. This is what we're running towards. Your presence. Seeing you. Gazing on your beauty. It's the place where we're finally home. Thank you, Jesus. We're just going to go back into worship. It's the only appropriate thing to do right now, right? So go ahead and stand, stand with me and let's worship. I just wanted to let you guys know that the communion tables are open to you for the whole weekend. So um, anytime that you want to come and partake from those, you are welcome to. Um, also, I just wanted to invite anybody who, as I was talking about Jesus and the story of what he's done, that you've never heard that before or you've never seen yourself in that before and you're wanting in on that redemption. You're wanting in on that forgiveness, on that washing. You're wanting in on that God who made you and breathed you into existence and you're wanting your ugliness washed away and Jesus' beauty put on you. I would love to pray with you. So anytime you can come up here and grab me or anyone else that's up here and we would love to pray with you. The other thing, ministry team, can you come? Um, when we were praying at the end there, and there was that picture of um, a garden with weeds, and maybe a weed that's grown really tall that you've just been accustomed to living with. I just wondered if there was anybody who was like, yeah, there's, there is a lie that I've believed, or I've never seen myself that way. Um, this was spoken over me when I was young, or... I just believed this about myself. I just believed I had big feet, and it's all I've ever known, and it's all I've ever believed. The Lord wants to speak the truth over you tonight and set you free from that thing and pull that weed out of your life. And right now and for the rest of the week, and there's a ministry team up here of women that I deeply trust. They are safe women. They are loving women. And they're going to keep everything that you share with them in confidence. They're not going to talk to anybody else about it. So this is a safe place for you to get real with God about what's going on in your heart. In the Bible it says when we confess to one another, when we confess our sin, when we confess what's going on for us, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us and to wash us from our unrighteousness. And there's something that happens. I can tell you this from experience. When you've been living with something inside of your head, there's something that happens when you say it out loud to someone else. When you confess it, God rushes in. There's power in it. 
So if there's anything stirring in your heart, it could be something I didn't touch on either. There's just freedom here. Do business with God. If there's something stirring in your heart, come pray with someone. Gather up with your pack. Grab the person that you came with. Pray, confess, get real. We're believing that God wants to set us free. That there is change that can happen tonight, right now. That you could walk out of this building believing different and thinking different about yourself and about God and living different from this day forward. God is real and the things that he does are real. And he loves us and he's after us. He wants our hearts and he wants us to live in the freedom of his love and his truth. So if there's anything stirring in you, you can come. We're going to go back into another song of worship. The communion table is open. You're free to respond. And we're just going to let this time linger and let God do what he wants to do. And then we'll get to the lip sync when the time comes, okay? So you're free. You're free to respond. You're free to worship. You're free to go. You're free to stay and hang out. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. find Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea and all the beautiful things here in life And I